I'm a strong, resilient, independent young person. I am a writer. I am also part of the foster care system. I am Aboriginal. I'm a proud Wiradjuri woman. I'm a helper. I'm a friend. I'm cool. I am a sister. I'm a motivator. I'm smart. I'm outgoing. I am tired. I'm vegetarian. I'm a person someone can lean on. I am a product of my past. I'm a dance teacher, a waitress. I'm a person who gives good advice. I am a fighter. I'm America's next top model. I am me. Hi, I'm Miranda Moya from New South Wales Department of Family and Community Services. Welcome to More Than Just a Kid in Care, a podcast by Youth Consult for Change. This podcast aims to overcome stigma and explore what it's really like to grow up in out-of-home care. Today we're talking all about identity. It's the first in a series that will explore belonging, connection, participation and rights. Trigger warning. This podcast will include open and honest discussions among young people in foster care. Some of our conversations will include topics that can be emotionally challenging to hear, such as mental health, past trauma, and the stigma of being in care. While we won't be showing graphic details, please take care of yourself when listening. We're coming to you from Gadigal land, known today as Sydney. I'd like to acknowledge that the Gadigal people were here long before us, and they continue as the traditional custodians of this land. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, to our Aboriginal youth ambassadors and any Aboriginal people listening out there today. Who am I? Where do I come from? What makes me, me? What does identity mean and feel like for a kid in care? What helps or gets in the way of feeling good about who you are? This episode is all about how growing up in care shapes a young person's identity. So, who are Youth Consult for Change? Good question. They're a group of 20 dedicated young people who all happen to have an experience of being in out-of-home care. The group helped New South Wales Department of Family and Community Services, otherwise known as FACS, by advising on policy and practice changes. And they share important ideas with thousands of FACS practitioners across the state every year. We are now fortunate enough to hear uh, from a panel, the UC Change Group, hosted by... I don't want you to think that I need saving. Yes, like it's a great thing to, to save people, but I think sometimes we need to save ourselves first. I'm here with a panel of three of our youth ambassadors now, Emily, Letitia and Lindsay. Hi. Hey. (laughs) So today's episode is all about identity and I'm going to start with asking you what identity means to you. Um, For me, identity is about safety and it's about, you know, being able to feel comfortable and feel confident within yourself and also those around you. Social identity is very important, you know, it's very special, um, but also cultural identity, you know, being able to understand where you're from, you know, who your mob is, things like that. Um, Spirituality, religion, you know, all those sort of things are definitely really important, but I think also having a place of identity. So, you know, whether that's the beach, whether that's your home, somewhere where you know that, that you can go that's safe and that's important for you. So identity to me is looking at a sense of self and who you believe you are, but it's also acknowledging the, the fact that the perceptions and opinions that other people have upon you and determining whether you hold value to that and if that's a true self or if there's aspects of um, your identity, both physically, mentally, spiritually, that plays a part in who you are as a person. 
When you think of your identity, Lindsay, what do you think of? Honestly, people's perceptions and opinions of me. And I think that's how I um, identify myself, whether that's a right thing or a wrong thing. I think of um, places I grew up, um, my friends, my friends' opinions of me and my achievements. And I think that's how I identify myself, really. So one of the things that the three of you share is that you have all had some sort of experience being in out-of-home care. What do you think some of the challenges are for young people in out-of-home care in forming a strong identity? I think um, lots of kids in care, they hide their, their true potential, you know, because you're, you're stuck between, you know, what people are telling you that they want you to be, what statistics say that we're meant to be, you know, besides, like, who we want to be. And I think... The instability. It's, it's kind of like we can't form our true identities you know, because we're, we're constantly changing and we aren't able to form those you know, connections to people, place and, and things. And so we're often really, really mismatched and, you know, things change. Does that ring true for, for you, Letitia and Lindsay? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's also looking at the perceptions people put on us, but it's also looking at the perceptions that we hold on ourselves, like trying to prove ourselves to other people in order to break that stereotype. I think some of the challenges that young people face when they're in care and even after they've left care is not having proper support in achieving a sense of identity. So whether that be looking at cultural identity. For example, I was with a non-Indigenous carer. So I was missing a lot of connection to culture because no one went out of their way to look into who are my family, who's my mob, um, what country am I from, what, what's my totems. I was missing all the essence of who I am because of a barrier that was put upon me by other people. I asked those questions about, can you connect me to my culture? Where do I come from? And no one gave me those answers. And then I had to go out of my own way to do that. Is that something that you feel that the fact that cultural identity was something that was so difficult for you to be able to connect with in a true meaningful way that it's actually not part of the normal process? Yeah, and that put a stress on myself and a stress on my family because growing up, I've always recognised as being Aboriginal, but then I couldn't say more than that word. I couldn't say, oh, I'm from this place or my family are from there or this is my protocols that I follow because I didn't have someone follow up with me to give me that sense of identity. I picked up earlier that that idea of perception and other people's views of you and how that shapes your identity and perhaps some of the stigma that sits around children and young people who are both in out-of-home care or have been in out-of-home care. Has that been something that you have experienced? Yes, absolutely. I think my identity changed along with all the changes in my life whether that be placement or placements or caseworkers. I think I let myself be defined by what caseworkers and carers would say about me. So that changed every time a placement or caseworker changed. And what do you think the general stigma is out there about young people in out-of-home care? That you won't get anywhere in life, that you're going to end up in the justice system or you're going to end up unemployed and a burden to society. You're seen as broken. You're seen as like a lower population. You're a minority. Then you've got this overwhelming overload of sympathy, pity, 
questions of why, when, where and those constant questionings that why'd you go into care or you're different or you're a bad egg then becomes something that can trigger young people to stay in a negative um, outlook upon themselves about being in care. They see being in care as something that's going to determine the rest of their lives in a negative way when it doesn't always happen like that. For example, there's so many young people that have been in care that have turned out to be doctors, to be social workers, to enjoy working in retail and to have put these perceptions on them to say, well, you're not going to get anywhere, that then sometimes plays a fact that they then start believing that about themselves and they then fall down those tracks. When I hear these three remarkable young women talk about the weight of these stereotypes, I know we have to do better. We all hold this responsibility. A few of our youth ambassadors got wondering about what the leaders working at FACS think about identity of young people in out-of-home care. Charlene and Sophie approached some of them at our recent conference at Olympic Park in Sydney, and Zach looked after the sound recordings. So I'm Carly. I'm part of the Office of the Senior Practitioner. Hi Carly, I'm Charlene. As young people in care, we have to deal with lots of stereotypes, such as low expectations of what we might achieve in life. Um, How do you feel about that? How do I feel about it? I feel pissed off that that would be our expectation. I think that we should want for our kids in care the same thing we want for every single kid, which is for them to be able to be everything that they want. Those kid dreams of being a firefighter or a hairdresser or whatever it was that they wanted to do and be in their life can still be true. Hello, I'm Sophie. Can you please tell me your name and your position? Hi, I'm Todd Brealy. I'm the director of Child Story. The first question I'll be asking will be about identity. As young people in care, we have to deal with lots of stereotypes, such as bad behaviour and that we're different or like things aren't available to us. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, I guess my experience is that that's not the case. My experience is that young people in out-of-home care are really resourceful, they're creative and they can find quite amazing solutions to, to issues and just see things differently to, to how I did as a young person. Um, so I find it really inspiring and it's mostly really encouraging just to see how a, a young person out of home care um, can approach an issue and then find a solution. Um, my name is Kelly Ramston and I'm Manager Client Services for the Permanency Support Program in Western Sydney, Nepean Blue Mountains. What do you think about uh, low expectations? that people often have of kids in care. I feel awful about that. I think I think we need to challenge that all the time. There's so many young people who have been through the care system who have so much strength and resilience and do amazing things. So you really, really want to challenge those perceptions. So for a young child in care, maybe they've heard someone say, like, you're not going to be anything, you know, or you're going to be exactly the same as your parents, then what do you have to say to those children? That you are your own person and you have so many amazing um, abilities and you're an amazing person in yourself and you have your own journey ahead of you and that I hope you get all the support you need to fulfil your dreams and hopes and to be what you want to be. 
I'm Lisa Charay. I'm the Executive District Director for Western Sydney and Nepean Blue Mountains. As young people in care, we have to deal with a lot of stereotypes such as bad behaviour and that we're different. How do you feel about that? It's something I'm incredibly passionate about. I think generally even practitioners don't understand what trauma does to a child's brain and the way their brain develops. And what looks like bad behaviour is very often trauma. Children go through experiences that I think any adult would struggle to deal with, yet we in the past have labelled them. I think it's really important that we support children, we look for all the good, we recognise when things are tough, what that's about, and we enable them to not be labelled. Belinda Edwards, Director of Psychological and Specialist Services. What do you think about the low expectations of people that they often have of kids in care? Well, I think that's just ridiculous, but I know what you mean. There is this view that children in care won't achieve the same things as other children with regard to education or employment and I just think that's a terrible thing for people to think and it's so not true. Having worked with a whole bunch of young people who are in care they can achieve anything that other children can achieve and the reality is that children will step up to what you expect of them quite often so when you expect that they'll behave okay and that they'll do the right things often that's what they'll do but if you have an expectation that they're not going to do that then you don't give them the same opportunities. So I'm Joanne Dobry, Acting Manager Client Services at Pendant Hill CSC. Because I just wanted to ask you about identity. Do you have any that like come to mind to you? I'm remembering a young person where we did something very simple which is giving her a copy of her birth certificate and she didn't realise that she had a middle name and she didn't realise that her what her, the full name of her parents were. And so it gives me goosebumps still talking about it because just those simple acts of giving a child the right to have access to the information is just an absolutely um, mind-blowing effect. As you said that, it just came to mind to me um, about when we first started our group. Um, we sat around the table and pretty much everyone out of, I think about 30 kids all had issues with their name um, and it's a really prevalent thing with kids in care like either the name is spelt different as you said they have a middle name or don't have a middle name they don't realize and what effect do you think that has on children I think it has a, a profound effect because your name is your identity and your name is one that you bring around with you Spelling their name correctly, knowing what their name is, is about giving them respect and respect to their heritage and respect to their identity. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. All the best with everything. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks, Charlene, Sophie and Zach. Now back to our panel discussion with Lindsay, Emily and Letitia. The three of you are very successful young women. What have you done to resist that stigma, those beliefs of low expectations? I first started realising, you know, what sort of stereotypes and and what stigma was around being in care when I was around 13. And and from there, I sort of made it my mission, you know, not to become what I was, you know, being told. Part of my identity is actually fighting against the system because it's, it's become such a such a part of my life is to just constantly fight and fighting gets so tiring but you just got to keep on going you know like but it's just kind of like when does it end 
And there's a lot of people, you know, who, who don't believe you when you say that you're a kid in care. There's lots of people that, you know, question as to why you've become so successful and why I've done the things that I've done. And it's simply because I, I can't be like, like everyone else. You know, I, I thrive off people telling me that I can't be something. And so that's, I think, why I've thrived so much and I've tried so hard to be successful because I got told that, that I wouldn't. Lindsay, I can see that you're agreeing with a lot of what Emily's saying there. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you've experienced? Um, pretty much the same to Emily. I'd say at 14, I made the decision that I hated what caseworkers were saying. I thought I didn't want to be um, this broken young girl that goes on to be more broken as her life progresses. So I fought for every single thing in my life, whether that be education or simple things like getting a passport or being able to go on a school excursion. Um, When you say fight, what does that mean? um, Advocate for yourself. So I wrote a letter to a manager when I was 14, insisting that I was capable to go to a different school, a boarding school. I went and sat down with the manager and, um, and had that meeting and attached school reports and And eventually, after a lot of um, back and forth, they allowed me to apply for schools. And um, if I hadn't have thought within myself that I was capable of going to a really good school and continuing to get really good marks, then I wouldn't have been offered that opportunity at all because it's an expectation that um, you won't do well. It's the stench of low expectations. But now I, I struggle... When do you stop becoming a kid um, that had experience in out-of-home care? Uh, like Emily was saying, we've kind of broken through this stigma and we're achieving and it's, um, in a way, a tall poppy syndrome. Like a lot of people know me you know, as that kid in care. So, But it's like, when does that characteristic of myself, like when, when will that end? You know, Would that end when I'm 25? Would that end when I get my leaving care letter? Or does it end the day that I die? You know, when will people stop looking at me as that kid in care and rather just as a simply person that's trying to do well in life? It shouldn't have to end. There shouldn't be such low expectations, though. Like, we should be proud that we were kids in care, looked after yeah, kids. Um, we shouldn't have to um, feel like we have to rise above and achieve. Mm. We're just normal kids that have gone on to uni, have gone on to have full-time work, have gone on to have happy and fulfilling lives. Do you think there'll be a time where you feel like you can stop fighting? No, no. I also think no. I think fighting's I think, in our identity now. It is, and it's become a, you know a part of who I am. Like I, I, I truly hope that one day, you know, when. When I've got a really good job, you know, like, like the day that I graduate uni, I've got a really good job, I've got my own family, own house, that sort of stuff. I think then it's not necessarily, like, not necessarily I'll be fighting the stigma, but I'll be fighting the repercussions of being a kid in care, you know, like all the trauma, all the, you know, different emotions and, and things like that. So I think it's, it, it's a constant fight, you know, not necessarily against the stereotypes and the stigma, but it's about, you know, all the aftermath, you know, like all your trauma or your things like that. So I, I don't think that the fight will ever end. I think it's going to be a constant battle and, you know, I, I truly hope that I never fall through the crack but, you know, like it definitely is a fear um, that if you stop fighting then you will fall. And As Emily and Lindsay mentioned, we are quite resilient and strong people and there is ways to break through those stereotypes and we're working in these industries and in these fields where we are now the change makers 
We are on the UC Change group because we are the change makers for young people because we don't believe in those stereotypes. We know that there's a way out and we know that every young person deserves the opportunity to grow and change and become their own person and not have to deal with the repercussions or the impacts that other people have had on their lives their whole life or the perceptions that other people have held against them to say that they're going to be a bad person. It's not like that. We are just people that have had negative experiences, but we are learning to put them into positive views and positive lights and actually become people that we want to be. Boom. Bam. (laughs) (laughs) You've talked a lot about fear driving that urge to really fight. Do you feel proud of that fight? 100%. Yep, 100% too. You know, I was working three jobs and I was simply doing it because I knew that the more I did for myself and the more that I fought, that the easier that it would be in in the long run. It's definitely not easy, you know, but then I realised that no one else is, is going to fight for me and it's actually my job to fight for myself to have the life that I want to live. What would have been more helpful for you in shaping your identity as a child or young person in care, Lindsay? If I had had positive conversations with people in the community, particularly caseworkers, teachers, friends, um, other adults, that they would have seen me for who I was and not for what was written on pieces of paper. Um, And I think from having those positive conversations to begin with, then I guess they would have had higher expectations for what I was capable of and what um, I could do. And those um, high expectations would have made it a lot easier for me to have gone to university, gone to school, been able to do other activities. Normal children per se, you know, they they grow up and they they form their identities, you know, you know, via sport or extracurricular activities. Whereas we often miss out on those opportunities, you know, whether that's because there's no time or there's no funding. Our identities are definitely impacted in that sort of extent, you know, because we're not able to do things that normal kids do. We can't go on every school excursion. You know, we can't partake in in weekend sport that often, you know. Our identities aren't being shaped properly. We're not being able to be, you know, normal children. Like, the system needs to change. There's all these barriers um, in the agency and in the NGOs that prevent us from, from being able to sleep over at a friend's house without having... Uh, multiple police checks done and yeah having that done weeks ahead and my school was part of the world's biggest Zumba challenge and I wasn't able to uh, be a part of it because they could identify me in a photo so things like that that really prevent us from being able to participate um, like every other young person in in a school. You hear stories where there's actually young people that have had experiences to the point that their faces have been removed from school group photos So they've scribbled them out so that people cannot identify them. Now that's taking away their identity, that's stripping them away from their identity within their peer groups. So of course questions are going to be asked to these young people. Why did that happen to you? These stories, stories that we hear on a daily basis, where policies and procedures within an organisation that's meant to be supporting young people to become who they are, to be safe, to have a sense of security and identity is still stripping it away from them at the same time. So I was involved with some heavy volunteer stuff. You know, I was I was getting you know heaps of awards and and things like that. And so I decided because um, I was sort of over you know having to be excluded you know from so many different photos and, and things like that. And I kind of 
kind of got to a point, you know, where I was like, you know what, like I need to be recognised too. Like it needs to be able to be flexible because there are some kids you know, that deserve to be photographed and, you know, deserve to be shown off and, and things like that. Um, Lindsay, you spoke earlier about how you moved to uh, several placements in the time that you were in care. Did that have an impact on your identity? Yes, absolutely. That had an impact on um, my identity. I had a lot of friends in scouts and in uh, soccer and in my original school. Um, And as soon as that was kind of taken away from me, I didn't know who I was. I had a school identity and I had a home identity and then uh, both were taken away from me and I had no idea who I was. Um, So it's really hard to have to start new every time you move school. Sometimes the system doesn't make it very easy for you to start rebuilding a different identity. How would you describe yourself in one sentence? I believe that I'm resilient, that I'm compassionate, that I'm strong in a sense that I believe and I value people for being who they are, no matter what background or experience that they've come from. And then in saying that, that's how I want people to view me. I view myself as my own person, that I can make my own decisions that I can voice my own opinions, that I can hold freedom within myself and clarity within my own mind. I like to believe that I'm an independent, strong, resilient, but also compassionate person. Um, I definitely love doing work with other young people, you know, being able to be that sort of inspiration. I sort of want to be, you know, that one adult that changes another kid's life um, and that's sort of what I aim for. So I definitely try to be a good person, yeah. What would you like other young people in out-of-home care to believe about themselves? I want every young person in care to know that they are worthy, that they are lovable and that they are capable. I want to thank all three of you for sharing incredible insights today. Thank you, Letitia. Thank you, Lindsay and Emily. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all for the first episode of More Than Just a Kid in Care, brought to you by Youth Consult for Change, a group of young people who are bold, determined and unstoppable. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and tune into the next episode about belonging and connection. Find more episodes on the U website, you.childstory.nsw.gov.au or just Google Child Story. One of the members of the group composed our title track. You can find more of his music at Dat Gringo Beats on SoundCloud. Thank you to every member of Youth Consult for Change for making this podcast possible, whether it be in front of the mic or behind the scenes. They are the change makers. Thanks to the facts leaders who shared their ideas. And thank you for listening. Do you need help fast? Call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Or if you are between 5 and 18 years of age, you can call the helpline for a free confidential telephone counselling, especially for children and young people in out-of-home care. Thank you. Woo! That was awesome. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out.